I'll be reading from Joshua, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Tittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel enlarged there before they passed over. And it came to pass, after three days, that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant, and went before the people. You may be sitting. Jonathan, you've led one of my favorite songs today, Hold the God's Unchanging Hand. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what I did one time. I was in Southern California, big boulevard there, and came to a red light. And I had the windows rolled down. It was a hot day. And uh, I just love that song, Hold the God's Unchanging Hand. So I'm singing that song to myself out loud while I'm stopped at the red light. Well, it turned, I happened to turn to my left and there was a car pulled up in their lane with their windows rolled down and the man and woman looking over at me, listening to me sing that song. And then I happened to turn to the right and there was a car on that lane over there with the windows rolled down, a car full of kids and they're all leaning around listening to me sing that song. So I just kept singing the song until the light turned green and we all went our separate ways. I'm not ashamed to let anyone know I'm holding to God's unchanging hand. And I hope you are too. Thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in that song. Thank you for the fine participation that you've had today in our worship service and singing these beautiful songs today. We're happy that you're with us. Very grateful that you're spending your time with us in worship today and encourage you to be back with us tonight at 6 o'clock. Well, we'll pick up with that subject again we started last Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at verse 58 tonight, Lord Lord willing. Children of Israel are on the brink of the Jordan, ready to cross over. What an exceptional, meaningful time that is for those people. They had been close to this before. Two years after going into the wilderness wanderings, God told them, send out 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and spy out the land. The spies came back, and they found that the Transjordan area in Palestine was a land flowing with milk and honey. But yet 10 unfaithful spies said, we cannot take this land. Because in their mind, they were like grasshoppers in the eyes of those in the land of Canaan. Two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, let's rise up and take the land. Let's do what God's told us to do. But those unfaithful spies swayed the people, 
and for 38 more years they would wander in the wilderness. And now a whole new generation has come up, being born in the wilderness and in turn ready to cross over. All the men of war and all that generation died in the wilderness because of listening to the unfaithful report of the ten spies. We can't take the land, which ought to be a great lesson for us right there. God had clothed them. Their shoes did not wear out. God had given them the manna. He'd given them the quail. He'd given them the water. He'd provided all that they needed through the wilderness wanderings. Now they've come to the brink of the promised land, something that they'd looked hoped for, they'd looked forward to, and hoped for from the very beginning of their wandering. I hope you have your Bible with you today, and if you do, please turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. And in Joshua chapter 1, along with the fine reading that we've had this morning, I'd like to add to it these words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. This was the promised land, the land that they were looking forward to. Their hopes are now being realized. We're going to have this land in which to live. It was a great change that's going to take place in their life to cross this Jordan. God's going to give them the land, yet they're going to have to fight for it. They're going to have to do what God's told them to do in order to receive it. Their hearts must have been filled with a great deal of change and a sense of change that now the inheritance is going to come to pass. Been a lot of changes in our lives, hadn't there? A lot of change in the lives of the children of Israel. Can you think of some changes in your life? There were monumental changes. I can tell you some changes in my life. I remember when my children were born, raising children, and children growing up and going to college and getting married. Uh, These were big changes in my life, probably changes in your life. We all go through changes, don't we? And I think they're valuable lessons for us to learn as the children of Israel were ready to make a big change in their life, to cross the Jordan and to go into the land of promise which God had given them. So I want to talk about three important points today, changes that take place in our lives. But it's not the changes that I want to talk about. Your changes in your life will be different from the change in my life. But what I want to talk about is how we handle those changes and how important it is for us to have the right attitude. And one thing I hope you'll always remember, wherever you go and whatever happens to you in life, may you go, may God go with you. Go with God, that's for sure. The children of Israel, in our reading this morning, particularly in verse 3 and verse 4, had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was probably, I guess I should say, the most holy piece of furniture that Old Testament Israel had. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't all that large. It was about 30 inches wide, 30 inches deep, about 4 feet long. It was made out of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold. The lid of the Ark was called the mercy seat, and on top of this lid were two cherubs, figures of angels with wings pointing toward each other, emblematic of God's presence with his people. This Ark of the Covenant was a very important matter. 
it went with them. When they would camp, the ark was set in the middle of the camp, and they were designated where they would set up camp around the ark. Everywhere they went, God went with them. And they realized that. This is the symbol for the children of Israel, that God was in their midst and God was in their presence and that God was leading them and directing them. And now special instruction was given. Did you notice that in the reading? I'll go back and read Joshua 3, beginning at verse 3. Notice what he says about the ark. At the end of three days, verse 2 begins, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Cubits, about 18, 18 and a half inches. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. In other words, when they saw the Ark of the Covenant being carried upon the shoulders of the priests, they were to assemble themselves at a certain distance behind the Ark, and there they were to follow the Ark wherever the Ark led them. They were being led by God. And when that Ark and those priests, the foot of that priest touched that water, God caused that water of the Jordan to back up, and not just at that place, but way upstream. And the children of Israel would cross on dry ground. God was leading. God was in their presence. Changes were taking place. I don't know what kind of change takes place in your life. I hope that you shall remember this important point, that whatever change does take place in your life, and changes are coming, that you will realize that God is with you that God is going with you. In John chapter 12, there Jesus talks about change, and he's really talking about the suffering that is going to take place on the cross. And he brings up this particular point with regard to the apostles, and I think it's important for us to see it here in this particular point. God goes with you through this life. In John chapter 12 and 23, and I'll explain this paragraph just a little bit, but I really want to emphasize verse 26. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now that's special language for the Gospel of John, which means the death of Jesus. Jesus is going to be crucified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Well, clearly Jesus is talking about himself there. He's the grain of wheat. The grain of wheat must die, and then it germinates, and the plant comes from the grain of wheat. Well, Jesus is saying about himself, I've got to die in order for salvation to incur. And he says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And he's presenting his disciples with this great challenge. In face of opposition, are you going to remain faithful and love the truth? And love the will and the plan of God set forth for us. Whoever loves his life loses it. Now if you love this life more than you love eternal life, then you're going to lose eternal life. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hates his life is a Hebrew idiom which means love less. He loves this life less than he loves the life to come. 
And if you love that life to come more, and you're faithful to the Word of God and the cause of Christ, you'll receive eternal life. That's the import of verse 25. And now the verse that I want to emphasize, verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant servant be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Remember, whatever change in life that you might face, that you want to go with God, that God is going with you. And just like that Ark of the Covenant, stay close to God. How are you going to do that? You're going to stay close to God by reading God's Word. It'll cause you to grow closer to God and realize God is leading you and God is directing you. The children of Israel would cross the Jordan, but they did so at the direction of God and in the way God told them to go. When the foot of the priest touches that water and that water moves back and that land dries up, then you cross at that point and you go around and that ark will be stationed there in the midst of the river and you'll go around that point. Two and a half million people now crossing. Go with God. God is with you. And no matter what change you have in life or face in life, go to the Bible and study that and grow closer and closer to God. It'll help you remember this important point that the children of Israel had when they crossed the Jordan. Go to God in prayer. Remember God in prayer. Difficulties come up in life. Great joys come up in life. Go to God in prayer and pray to God. Ask the Lord's blessings to be upon you. Learn to keep close to God and realize that God is with you and loves you and wants the very best for you. Sometimes these changes in life are very difficult for us to accept and understand, but yet God is there leading and directing in every way. When I look at the book of Joshua and I look at this chapter 3, there's a wonderful statement made in chapter 3 that helped me see this important point, and that is God can do amazing things. And that's what Joshua was telling the people at the time. Now, recall what he said here in verse 5. Then Joshua, I'm back in chapter 3, said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You're going to see some wonderful things by the hand of God. You're going to see some powerful things which God is able to do. Sometimes we get the idea that God doesn't do anything anymore. Now let me make clear about the fact. We do not have miraculous work of the Holy Spirit today. I've been in discussions about that matter with many different people to try to help them see what the Word of God says about the matter. We do not have the miraculous today as they had back then. Part of our problem is the problem of denominational people who haven't really studied the Bible carefully and analyzed it properly and want to take upon themselves the idea that God's still working miracles today. Well, really, no, He's not working miracles today. However, I would insist God is still working today providentially in our lives. This God is working for you and God is working for me. And just as much as I would insist that there are no miracles today performed by the hand of God, I would also insist just as strongly that God continues to work. Sometimes we get the idea God doesn't do anything today, but that's just not true. God is not dead. God answers our prayers in His wonderful way. God has not forgotten us. God in His providential kindness is at work in our lives because He loves us 
And we ought to be very thankful and very grateful for that matter. Well, I've talked about this a, point, a time or two. Let's read about it from the Scriptures themselves in Joshua chapter 3. And with your Bible open, you're reading in verse 14. I'm going to read on down through verse 17. Because we don't read these Old Testament passages as much as we should, let's spend a time reading and we'll be brief in the matter. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, chapter 3 and 15... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam and the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now verse 17. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. What an amazing thing. An event the children of Israel would never forget. The crossing of the Jordan River. Now the crossing of the Red Sea was a tremendous time which Bible writers would write about and write about. But here was a tremendous time in which they were able to cross over. They crossed over on dry ground just as God said they would. And God provided a wonderful event in their life. Now this was a miraculous event. Uh, He's pretty clear in his citations of the historical matters and the geographical matters about the Jordan River. This time of the year, the Jordan River overfloods its banks. We've got a pretty good river. Now, the Jordan at this particular spot is not a huge river, but at the same time, uh, it overflows its bank, and it would not be possible for them to cross without God's divine help. And so he causes the great river to part. And there, as they touch the river with their feet, now they're on dry ground. It was a miracle. What a wonderful thing God has done. God has done wonderful things for you and God has done wonderful things for me. He has not done them miraculously. He has done them providentially. But they are wondrous things. Always remember, throughout changes in life, God can do amazing things. I've seen God do some wonderful things. Some things that I can say in my life, God has answered prayer. And I know that God has answered those prayers. God has done so much for us, it's hard for us to catalog all the things that God has done. I have been in third world countries where the people were extremely poor. I've been in countries trying to preach the gospel of Christ to people who didn't even know what the word preacher meant, trying to explain to them. The husband of the family... His job for the day would go to the village well and pull water out of that well and carry it back for his family. The people were poor. They would have for their supper corn tortillas and a watered-down soup. God has blessed us. You and I will sit before sumptuous meals today and every day. We live in fabulous houses and we have wonderful automobiles and we dress in the finest clothes. God has blessed us. He has done wonderful things for us. 
Never doubt the power of God. Never doubt the providence of God in your life. Good brethren have stood up in this pulpit already and prayed for the sick. Thank you for those prayers. Prayed for preachers. Prayed for elders. Thank you for those prayers that God may continue to bless us, continue to help us as we continue to do the Word of God. God can do amazing things, and He does them even today. Joshua told the children of Israel, uh, when the priests carry that ark on their shoulders, you assemble yourselves 2,000 cubits behind it. Don't you get too close to it. God's leading you, and you follow God's leadership out across into that Jordan. God's going to do a wonderful thing in your sight today. And He does that in our sight every day. And we need to give Him the praise and the glory and the honor for that. I want to go to the next point. Thank you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I hope you'll remember this point. Remember God. Now this study about the crossing of the Jordan wouldn't be complete without this third point. They remembered that day. And they gathered stones and they set them up. They set up two piles of stones. From each tribe they would carry a stone and they would set the stone in the midst of the Jordan. Then they would take stones and carry it on the other side to the bank where the priests and where the nation crossed over. We're going to read about that. Joshua chapter 4. And I'm in verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that in the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Let's go on down while I'm here in chapter 4 to about verse 9. Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day, to the writing or the time of the writing of this book. It was a memorial, something that they were to remember. God wanted the children of Israel to remember this. There was going to be children who would come along who didn't know what these stones meant. And they said, now what do these stones mean? And Dad would say, son, daughter, this is what they mean. These stones were set here during the days when the children of Israel, our forefathers, crossed over this Jordan. And God divided those great waters and we crossed over on dry land. Remember what God did there. And that stone right there, those st- that pile of stones were carried on the shoulders, one from each tribe, and laid right there. And there's a pile of stones right out there in the middle of that river to memorialize, to cause us to remember all that God has done for His people in giving us this land. We wouldn't have this land if it were not for God. There to remember what God did. You and I are to remember what God did, what God has done for us. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. It's good to remember, isn't it? It's good to have memorials. I was reading 
about the Old West, and I enjoy reading novels about that and historical accounts about the Old West and things like that. This couple just got married, and they left St. Louis, Missouri in covered wagon, headed west, headed for Fort Kearney, Nebraska. But on the way, they drank some contaminated water, and as they drank the contaminated water, as they are working their way on through, his new wife had died because of the contamination. As they came within sight of Fort Kearney, he picked out the largest hill he could find and buried his wife there on that hill. He took the bed of the wagon and the boards from the bed to make a coffin. And there he buried his wife on that hillside. He took slats from the wagon and made marker there so that he could find it later. His intention was to go on to California. But he looked at that site and he thought, I'll never be able to find this site if I come back. And when I come back, I'll never be able to find it. I've got to have a marker here, a memorial here for his wife. So he made the journey all the way back to St. Louis, Missouri. And there he contracted a stone cutter to cut the stone in memory of his wife, Suzanne Hale, date of birth, date of date. date of death. He tried to contract passage back with another wagon train, but all the wagon trains were full, and he wanted somebody to carry the stone back, but no one would carry this heavy stone across the prairie all the way back to Fort Kearney, Nebraska. So he bought a wheelbarrow and pushed the wheelbarrow himself with the stone in the wheelbarrow from St. Louis to Fort Kearney, Nebraska where he erected that stone at the gravesite of his wife. Memorials are important. And God told the children of Israel, you put these stones right there, and let each stone be one for each tribe of the children of Israel. And when your children come along, and when they come up, and they ask, what does this mean? Then you'll be able to tell them, We want to remember what God has done for us. Has God done anything for you that you want to remember? That's why we as Christian people, on the first day of the week, as we have been commanded by example, as the first Christians did, assemble together and we take of the Lord's Supper. We take that bread, which represents the death of Jesus, and we take that fruit of the vine, which represents the blood of Christ, And we're observing as an item of our worship, as a part of our worship, the death of Jesus. We are here today because of the resurrection of Christ. But that Lord's Supper represents His death, the slaying of that body, and the shedding of that blood. And we remember that because memorials are important. And when our children ask us, what does this mean? What does that bread mean as it passes from person to person? And each individual Christian takes a part of that bread. What does that mean? Which that fruit of the vine passes. And each individual member of the church is taking of that fruit of the vine. And as parents we're telling our children what that means. We're remembering what God has done for us. That he gave his son. 
that we receive forgiveness of sin. And now we have hope for obtaining eternal life because of what God has done. His son died on the cross and that bread represents his body and that fruit of the vine represents his blood. And it took that blood, the shedding of that blood and the taking of that life to atone for the sins of man and for man to be justified in the sight of God. It is a memorial that means a lot to us as Christian people. Every first day of the week we assemble together and we sing and we pray and we hear the exposition of Scripture and we take the Lord's Supper, which is a memorial of the life and the death of the one who died for us. And our children need to know that. Our children need to understand that. And we as Christian people need to grow in faith with regard to that matter. There are some memorials that mean a lot to us I remember the day I was baptized. That's a day I'll never forget. I can remember what God did for me that day. I was a young man. I was taught by my mother, taught by my father. Talked to the preacher at that time. Preacher asked me, sat at the kitchen table. He says, why do you want to be baptized? That's the question he asked. I said, I want to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. He said, what about the church? I said, I want to be a part of the church. He looked at my mother and he looked at my father. He said, this man knows enough to be baptized. But it was still up to me that Sunday night, I thought about it, and they were singing the song, the invitation song. And I waited about the middle of the first verse, and up I went. I've never looked back. It's a point and a memory I'll never forget the day that I was baptized into Christ. Memorials. It represents the death and resurrection of Christ. It is a type of figure whereby when I was put under the water, it's a type of death that an old way of life no longer is a part of my life and I come up to a newness of life. Romans chapter 6, 4 through 6. I'm a new creation. I've learned a lot along the way. I've studied a lot of Bible and I've spent a lot of time studying and trying to understand it. But I'll never forget that moment in my life and what that memory means to me. Time when I heard the gospel and I decided this is what I've got to do. I remember times when God answered my prayers and I was very great, very grateful for what God has done. That God has done great things in my life. God can do and has done great things in your life. And we need to remember what God has done. I'm probably speaking to some young people here today who have always had a computer in their home all their life. They've never known a time where they didn't have a cell phone or a handheld calculator. They don't know what a black and white TV is. Every TV they've had has always been color. I remember when there wasn't any TVs. There wasn't anything like air conditioning. Air conditioning in an automobile is ridiculous. Nobody's got that. Nobody heard about that. You know what we used to have to do in the car? Take these little cranks and roll the windows down. That's what we used to have to do back in those days. Times have changed. Children of Israel had a new generation. Do you know what God did? 
when that new generation came up that was born in the wilderness, didn't know anything about Egypt, that generation was dying away in the wilderness. A new generation was growing up in the wilderness. All they ever knew was the wilderness. And when they crossed that Jordan River, God told Joshua, sharpen your flints. And there I want you to circumcise every male member that was born in the wilderness. And when they did that, then God said, I have removed the reproach of Egypt from among you. Change. They've never known anything like it. They've never known anything like a, an inheritance. All they ever knew was what life was like in wilderness wanderings. And a change took place in their lives. And they had a future. And God was behind it all. Now I think our lesson today would just not be complete with just these three points. New Testament writers would talk about a land of promise. And primarily, what we understand about this would come to us from Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. I'd like to turn to those two chapters and briefly outline them for you. Chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, he talks about Moses and what a faithful servant Moses was. You know, that's the point of our lesson. The children of Israel have been brought through the wilderness wanderings by the leadership of Moses and God's divine help. But then Moses died and Joshua became the leader of God's people. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 3 said Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. But Christ was the builder of the house. And Christ deserves more credit and more glory and more honor as the builder of the house, the church of the New Testament, than being a servant in the house as Moses was. For there is a rest for the people of God, verse 7. But that generation provoked me, he said in chapter 3. They provoked me and were hard of heart. Don't let that happen to you. Have a hardness of heart whereby you miss the rest which God has in store for you. That generation missed the land of promise because of their hardness of heart. Don't let it happen to you. We're beginning to see now that the word rest is used for the word heaven. And he's saying you can forfeit the opportunity to cross Jordan and go to heaven. Don't let that happen because of hardness of heart. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 3 and verse 12. You know what an evil, unbelieving heart is? It's a heart who will not submit to the will of God and do the will of God. And do you know where it leads? Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't let it happen to you. Don't fall away from God while we're traveling in this wilderness. Because one day we're going to cross Jordan and we want to be prepared for that. And we want to be of that generation who are faithful, listen to the will of God and cross over Jordan. And then you come to chapter 4. And you begin the let us passages in the book of Hebrews, four of which are used in this chapter. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest shall stand, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Possible to come short. It's possible to come short of the promised rest, and it's possible to come short of the land which God has in store for us, which is eternal life. And though, therefore, the word let us is a type of exhortation. Some of them did not receive the benefit. Verse 2, For God, good news came to us just as to them, Hebrews 4 and 2, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? They wouldn't listen to it. They wouldn't obey the message because they were not united by faith with those who listen. Those who listen and obey the will of God will cross over the Jordan into God's rest, which is but another name for heaven itself. And let me examine another let us passage found for us again in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Let us... Exhorting us, you see. Therefore strive to enter that rest. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Strive to understand what the will of the Lord is for your life and obey it. So that you don't die in the wilderness. But you'll be part of the generation who crosses over the Jordan into eternal life. Now, should there be a problem with regard to the direction? Here it is, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh, the word of God is powerful. Now, the children of Israel had the Ark of the Covenant to follow. And God was leading them with the Ark of the Covenant. And Joshua said, when you see the priests carry the Ark on their shoulders, everybody get ready. 2,000 cubits behind the ark. You follow the ark across the Jordan. God's leading you. God is with you. We don't have an ark of the covenant like that. A physical chest made out of acacia wood. That's the old covenant. We've got something far better. We've got the word of God. It's leading us. And it's directing us. For the Word of God. You know why it's called the Word of God? It came from God. It's His Word. It's not our Word. It is the Word of God. And that Word of God is living and active. It can energize. It can enliven. Sharper, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing the dividing or division of soul and of spirit. The piercing power of the Word of God can cut down deep. And these words that are used are marvelous words as he talks about surgical tools. The Word of God is like a surgeon's tool that's so precise and it can tell you just exactly what to do and what not to do. And what you're trying to do is prepare to cross the Jordan to God's rest which He has prepared for everyone who will obey you. Piercing the dividing of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now understand this, verse 13. You ought to mark it in your Bible. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You can't hide from God. What you do, what you say, you're not going to be able to keep it from God. God knows. 
and we're going to have to give an account for what we have done or failed to do in this life that we have, this short life that we now face. Don't miss God's rest. We're going to cross the Jordan, and on Jordan's other side is eternal communion with God. If we are prepared, if we live the faithful Christian life, if we do not harden our hearts as that generation did in the wilderness. Am I speaking today to someone who's got a hard heart? Well, yes, I know what you say is true, but I'm just not interested in that. Don't have a hard heart. Be submissive in heart. When the gospel is preached, let it touch your heart. Let the Word of God be accepted. Embrace it and follow it and do it today. Remember, you and I are going to cross Jordan. And I hope and pray we cross together as faithful children of God all the days of our life. Don't die in this wilderness cross Jordan and be in eternity forever and ever. I think there are a lot of great lessons that can be learned from this crossing the Jordan. I think we've um, hit some of the highlights of the wonderful things that we can learn. And I want to spend just a brief moment encouraging you to become a child of God, to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Jesus Christ, baptized into Christ for the remission of sins as the Bible teaches that we all added to the church of the New Testament as the Bible prescribes. But it could be I'm talking to people who've been unfaithful to the Word of God and they've wandered away. Don't die in this wilderness, but cross Jordan. Follow God. He's done a wonderful thing for us, causing His Son to be sacrificed for us, giving us opportunity to receive eternal life through obedient faith. Now repent and turn back to God once again while you can. Let's cross Jordan together. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.